0: Let's go. What a wonderful opportunity to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I would love to go over 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and those final five verses with you again, because those are wonderful verses. With the promises offered and the conditions laid out and the nature of our separation from the other worldviews, what a passage. And the apostle knew it by the inspiration of God to, to start chapter 7 with a reference to having, therefore, these promises, because they are tremendous. And I hope that we want to lay hold of every one of them. I would love to start off this morning with Obadiah, the shortest book of the Old Testament, but what a powerful one-chapter sermon by the prophet about the Edomites. Last Lord's Day, I introduced our day with Malachi 1, 1-5, but Obadiah is a little book of just a few verses dedicated to that nation, and he was going to burn them to the ground. For what? Clapping at the wrong time. Right. Clapping at the wrong time. Because they clapped when God sent Nebuchadnezzar to take the Jews out of Jerusalem. And they dipped their fingers into the Jews' stuff and they caught stragglers and turned them over to the Babylonians, and God was going to burn them to the ground for clapping at the wrong time. The world's clapping against us this morning, and with a great smile in my heart and a smile on my face to some degree, I rejoice that he's going to burn them to the ground and burn them for eternity because of their worldview set against him. And we want to study today the worldview for us, which is the only, the one and only right worldview that the Bible teaches us. Turn to first Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. I was communicating with a good brother out of state that was somewhat troubled. Yesterday by the separation occurring between him and his extended family because of the truth and I gave him this text and he wrote back and he said it was a clap of thunder straight from heaven went straight to his heart and he was ready for anything that uh, might come in the future. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is David and Goliath. You know that David was sent by his father to take some goodies to his brothers who were in the army. And so I'll start at verse 20 of this chapter. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them, words that have already been recounted in this context before verse 20. Verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause, and we have assembled together today because there is a cause, and we want to encourage each other in that cause. Two worldviews are in violent conflict here, the church of God against the nation of the Philistines. There is indeed a cause to live for, and it's the worldview God has given us in his word. Our cause is not freedom. Braveheart and the use of the word freedom is hilarious and stupid and vanity. Just remember what that idiot in that movie died for. Without regard for God, Catholics, pagans, they were. Remember, there's something a whole lot greater than some earthly freedom for your little body. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are minor benefits compared to the greater benefit of being part of the kingdom of God, knowing God, having him save us, in us, giving us his revelation, sending his son for us, and calling us to live like his son while we're in this world. That's a real cause. Amen. It's not liberty. And as I said, it's not life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness. That isn't much of a cause. If a pagan makes that his cause, good for him. But a Christian shouldn't waste his time on such causes. The Apostle Paul never wasted one second of his time on such a cause. He would use the authorities for his protection from time to time, but that was not his cause. He only used them so that he could pursue his real cause, which was the kingdom of heaven. Happiness is not a cause that you want to be happy. So does your puppy. Give it a bowl of milk. Maybe someone will give you a bowl of milk. Happiness is pleasure, is not our cause. Our cause is the kingdom of God and his worldview in the world. It's the kingdom of God, it's the glory of God, it's the worship of God, it's the glory of his son, it's living for his son, it's defending the truth of the precious gospel given to us. Now there's four kinds of people, and we get to find them right here. Four. Four. There's four categories of people. Let me make it as simple as I can. Number one, there are blasphemous worldly pagans represented in this place by Goliath. Blasphemous worldly pagans represented here by Goliath. That's one category of person, and they are the majority in the world by far. Then there are zealous heroes and they are a severe minority. There's only a few of them. A zealous hero represented by David. Is there not a cause? He alone had a unique reaction and response to Goliath. No one else had it. If they had it in their hearts, it is utterly worthless. Do something about it. So there's one category, blasphemous pagans. Then there's zealous heroes, David. The third category are terrified do-nothings. Terrified do-nothing people. Because it tells us about them. In verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and we're sore afraid. Terrified, do nothings. Well, I'm afraid to get up in front of the church. I'm afraid to get involved. I'm afraid to take a stand at home. I might lose a child. I'm afraid to take a stand at home. I might lose a wife. I'm just afraid. I'm afraid to talk to someone about the Lord. They might turn me down. I might be casting pearls before a swine. That's just a bunch of fear. You're a terrified do-nothing. Remember, the majority are the pagan blasphemers. There's only a few zealous Davids that are heroes, and there's a whole lot of terrified do-nothings. Then, you know, we can, you can think about our church, you can think about your family, you can think about everyone you know. What category? Everyone in here can easily be dropped into one of these four categories very easily. I could answer for every single one of you inside of two seconds because it's all evident by your lives. The fourth category is Eliab. Arrogant, envious, do-nothings. Also, they're terrified, but their arrogance and their envy comes out loud and clear when they criticize the one hero that they should have been thankful for. Because of the envy of men. They can't stand heroes because they aren't. And so they're arrogant, envious, do-nothings. And when you look at this passage, there's the whole army of the Philistines representing our world. There's one David out of the whole nation, and it wasn't even Jonathan. It was David, and it wasn't Saul, and it wasn't Eliab. Age means nothing. Age is a ridiculous excuse for somebody that wants respect when they don't deserve it. Eliab being the oldest brother, David being the youngest brother, is irrelevant. You know what I preach about age, but right now it doesn't apply at all in a situation like this. David was the youngest, but he was the bravest, and he loved the Lord the most. It doesn't matter if there was a single man in that army that loved the Lord in his heart. It wasn't love that measured up and meant anything to God. The only one that had a heart that God appreciated was David, and he did something about it. Then there's all the terrified little people who never amount to anything in their lives because they're so afraid. Then there's the arrogant, scornful envious types that criticize anyone that is like David. What are you here for? You little guy, you should be home babysitting those little few sheep that we left with you. You have a naughty heart. He should have pulled his sword and chopped his brother's head off. A naughty heart. David, David had the only good heart on the whole battlefield. And the Lord loved him for it. And Jesus, your Savior, is called the Son of David for events like this. Today, as we have worldviews in conflict in our world, there's going to be a choice. Now, because you're here, you're saying by warming the foam rubber under you that you want to hold to God's worldview. Which means, okay, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. So you're not Philistines. So we're down to three options for you. Now there's three buckets that we get to drop you into. How much zeal do you have for the worldview of God? How do you show it? It doesn't matter what's inside you. That's a joke. Every man's heart is written across the sky by your actions. What do you do for others, for his kingdom, with zeal, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel? Every one of us has to ask ourselves, would I be just in the army? Would I be a scorner? And see, some of you may be scorning me right now because you don't like being criticized because you think you're perfect. Am I a terrified do-nothing Or am I a scorner do-nothing that's also envious? Or am I a hero for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it wrong of me, your pastor, and is it wrong of some of you to want a church full of Davids? Is that unreasonable for us to expect that we could have different proportions than Israel? I don't want to have proportions anything like Israel. They were the worst church in the history of the world. Can't we have a few more Davids and kind of change the percentages and composition of our church a little bit from the church of Israel? Amen. Which are you? A Philistine in love with this world and no regard for the God of the Bible, a terrified do-nothing, an envious, scornful, arrogant do-nothing, or a David? Is there not a cause? One man from out of state, and I'll tell you who it is in the second service. One man from out of state said, that text right there, verse 29, was a clap of thunder from heaven straight to his heart. Would there be some more claps of thunder straight from heaven to the hearts of the men, women, and children sitting here in this assembly today? And to me as well, I thank you, young Adam, for reminding us of Philippians chapter 3 that anything accomplished in the past is irrelevant. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to finish our races and go out in a blaze of glory for him who deserves all the glory we can give him. Heavenly Father, if you'll glorify us, we'll glorify you with the glory you give us. Is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause, and we want to learn more about it today. Right. Amen. There's my soft, gentle, and effeminate introduction to today's services. When you read Obadiah, and the hammer of God, the sigh, the sigh of God, the sickle of God, the sword of God is in his hand and he wipes out entire nations for clapping at his church. Oh, I want to be like David and not any one of those other three categories. Saul and Jonathan died together in battle because they both deserved to die together in battle. Thank you, Lord, for David's, but thank you, Lord, most of all, for the son of David. He had a cause and he lived it out every day of his life. Right. Let us pray. Holy Father, I am sorry there are not more like David. Forgive me when I have not been like David. Help me by thy spirit and by thy word to be more like David. Let everyone in this assembly, everyone that may hear this later, Remember, there are four kinds of men. There are pagan worldly blasphemers, and they are the great majority, 98% of the earth. Then there are those that call themselves Christians and are terrified, do-nothing people. Then there are those scornful, Envious, arrogant, do-nothing people that call themselves Christians. And there are a few, a very few people that do know their God and do exploits. And we thank Thee for them. Heavenly Father, I thank Thee for Thy precious word. It has spoken to me, it has spoken to another last evening, and I pray that it will speak to others right now. Heavenly Father, there is no preparation. There is no presentation. There is no eloquence nor personality that can change the hearts of men. If the hearts of men are changed by a man, they will change back before the sun sets. We want change that lasts, and we want change that works. And we want powerful change. By your mighty spirit, have mercy upon us. Heavenly Father, pour forth the power of Pentecost and resurrect our dead lives, our dead souls, and cause us to live. Say, live to this church. And Heavenly Father, strengthen us with might in our inner man, that we might know the love of Christ, which exceeds knowledge, that we might see it in all of its breadth, length, depth, and height, and that we might know it, and that we might be filled with all the fullness of God, like David was, for his dispensation. Heavenly Father, bless us this day. Empower us. Encourage us. Direct us. Help us. Convict us. Make it personal for each hearer. Heavenly Father, you know their hearts, you know their minds, you know their weaknesses, you know their faults. Oh Lord, convict them, remind them, and use whatever syllables come out of this poor vessel's mouth to help them be great in your kingdom and for your cause. We thank thee that we are here today because you have called us out of this world And given us this church, with this body of doctrine, with our ancient landmarks, with our church history. You have blessed us abundantly, more than anyone we know or can read of. But we pray that we will live worthy of the blessings that you have given us. You have formed, fashioned, protected, nourished, nurtured a vineyard here that is great. And you come looking for grapes, and we pray that there will not be any terrified, do-nothing grapes, that there will be no scornful, arrogant, envious grapes, but that there will be sweet grapes that cause you delight, like David caused you delight. I thank you for my sister, old sister, older sister, sitting in this congregation, who was so messed up in recent weeks, to discover that you delighted in David, that it was not just David delighting in you, but that you delighted in him. And I pray that you'll comfort her at this very moment by your spirit and your word for being like David. Heavenly Father, these assemblies are yours. Do what you're able to do because we know there's no limit to your ability. Have mercy upon us. We thank thee for the privilege of worshiping thee. And now guide every word that we say, pray, sing, preach, or hear, that it will be pleasing in thy sight according to the due order, and accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. In Jesus' glorious name we pray, Amen. amen.